So we are in the season of Easter and Easter egg hunts. Chris, do you remember doing an Easter egg hunt when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, I think almost almost every year we did that. My parents would hide some eggs and, you know, some small gifts maybe around the house. They'd hide this stuff all over the place, behind the TV, on top of the ceiling fan blades, uh, in between the couch cushions, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so some good memories, but none of them quite as good as last year's beer hunt. <laughs> the Now, the beer hunt was pretty epic. Yeah, so... Our wives, uh, we were hanging out after Easter Sunday worship stuff. Because they our, lo- because our wives love yeah, us. Yeah, so they got us beer. Uh, but the part where I wasn't quite sure how much they loved us, although it ended up being kind of fun, was they hid the beer out through all, all over your backyard and gave us empty six-packs to go fill them up. So we're running around with these six-packs, empty six-packs with like that Easter egg grass stuff in the bottom of it. <laughs> yes. And, you know, you always get to the last couple and they're like oh you're getting warmer oh you're getting warmer look at look behind the look behind the lighter fluid behind the the barbecue grill and yeah there it is there's a corona for you (laughs) but there's just something about the thrill of the hunt looking around for beer or candy or or (laughs) if you're lucky both (laughs) sometimes both But, but it's it's not as much fun if somebody's telling you exactly where to find them the hunt and the discovery and the frustration, the joy, it's all part of it. And it goes way beyond Easter eggs. It's discovering what you're made to do. It's a career. It's a life partner. It's discovering what you're passionate about, what you love. Yeah, and I think this is a big part of what it is to be human, to continue discovering and learning. Think about all the kids searching for eggs and treats during those Easter egg hunts. You know, we start out in life just enjoying the search, the hunt, and the discovery. But at some point, somewhere along the line, It feels like we're tempted to lose the excitement and exhilaration in discovering and exploring those new things and ideas. So what is that? Why is that? Isn't that what life's all about? I'm so glad I asked. Welcome to Sandbox Cooperative, Episode 41, The Thrill of the Hunt. Welcome to the Sandbox. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And hey, you know, we promised an episode with Shane Claiborne a while back, but due to technical difficulties, we pushed it back a little ways. We're planning on talking with him next week, and we'll share that conversation as soon as possible. We also really want you to save the date, May 7th, our next Sandbox Live event. Yeah, we're really excited for this. Our next live event, May 7th, with author and professor Drew G. I. Hart. And he'll talk with us about his new book, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism. And if you're planning on joining us, the event is free and open to the public. So make sure you get there early. We will have a full house. As always, we'll be at Studio 324 in Rochester, Minnesota, and we'll have snacks. That's a big bonus, too. If you can't make it, we will live stream this event so you can watch from wherever you are in the world. Be sure you make plans to join us. But today, we're talking about the thrill of the hunt. When it comes to matters of faith and exploration, it seems maybe a lot of people have just kind of lost their sense of adventure. Mm. So why is that? Yeah, I, I think it could be the disease of being busy. It could be that we've outsourced our sense of exploration and discovery to whoever is on the Google or writing books. I also think it could be about finances. We'd love to explore. We'd love to check things out, but we have work and we have spare money and spare time. are They're at a premium. 
I think it's a cocktail of finances and time and energy that we lose this very natural impulse. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of things grabbing for our attention and it can become really easy to live sort of like we have blinders on. We can become kind of preoccupied with all the tasks that we've got going on. We get sort of used to the patterns of going through our day that we don't really explore beyond what a normal day looks like. But constantly seeking to learn and discover can bring lots of really great, exciting new things. It just might mean that you also spend lots of time doing things that don't work. Yeah, don't work. Sometimes you spend your time exploring stuff that leads absolutely nowhere, which is where I think I spend most of my time. <laughs> but there may be times when you discover something that has huge implications that extend way beyond any place that you could have seen coming. Yeah, uh, we could go back a little bit in history, and it makes me think of Galileo. And it makes me think of Galileo. Does, isn't that the next? That, that, that's right, right where your mind goes. My head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what he discovered uh, with the, his telescope and observing the planet Venus and the moons of Jupiter, it, it convinced him that these ideas uh, that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the universe, um, that that was actually the way that it worked in what he called helio, heliocentrism. Um, but that idea was in direct opposition to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And in 1616, the church declared heliocentrism to be heresy. Uh, the teaching and books were banned and Galileo was banned from teaching or defending it. And eventually he was tried by the Catholic Church and he was found vehemently suspect of heresy. Wait, say that again. Vehemently. Vehemently suspect, suspect of heresy. Yeah. Uh, so he was forced to recant his discoveries or be burned at the stake. And ultimately was kept under house arrest until his death. I think we've been accused of being <laughs> suspect of heresy on a regular basis <laughs> on most episodes. But the way I understand it, you know, to your point, a literal reading of scripture might indicate a geocentric view, a, an earth-centered view of, of the universe. And, and you can proof text that. You can find evidence in the scriptures for that. But it doesn't square with reason, science, and discovery. The Bible wasn't at all interested in these scientific ideas, but, but that's a completely different podcast episode we should get to eventually. The point is that there was, there was so much fear about learning a new thing that the church silenced his voice. But they did eventually admit that they were wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like 359 years later. It was in 1992 that the church essentially said, uh, whoops, uh, my bad. And this was after we had orbited the Earth, after we had gone to the moon, after we had sent a space probe to the edge of the solar system. The Pope was like, yeah, well, let's see what, what had happened was, uh, look, what Galileo discovered was pretty groundbreaking. And it led to all sorts of new scientific discoveries about the universe uh, because it changed a pretty foundational perspective. It was a paradigm shift in the way we viewed reality and the universe. It was a new discovery. And with discoveries, we get to choose how we use and respond to them. They are what they are. And we have the power to use them for good or for ill. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we see a discovery that maybe gets used for something negative, it has that potential to stir up fear. I actually just saw a public service announcement on the side of a bus this morning mm. talking about how tobacco companies are targeting kids. Um, and at, at some point, tobacco companies learned that if you can get younger kids smoking, you have a customer for a long time. So like learning how addiction works, uh, having better understandings of marketing and advertising and a whole host of other things, all these discoveries meant a company could successfully target kids with an unhealthy product. 
And sometimes we think about that kind of stuff and it can just make us want to curl up into a ball and hide from anything that might possibly be harmful. But if we hold on too tightly to the way we used to see things, if we let the times where a discovery is used for harm to drive our fear, we can miss a lot of really great things. There's a whole world out there of, of amazing things for us to explore. Yeah, and you know, another challenge of discovery is that we have to work out what to do with it. We have to find out whether it's helpful or not. I actually had a, a theology professor in college. He said that new ideas are like going through your bookshelf. And I totally get this because I buy all sorts of interesting books when most of them sit on the shelf unfinished. But it makes you look smart. <laughs> well, I feel really smart. Yeah, I don't know how much it's working. But um, but what he was saying in that is that you take a book off the shelf and you you look through it and maybe you even read the whole thing. But then you think about it and you process it. And you decide if it has value. And if so, maybe you put it back on the shelf to read later or share it with a friend. Um, but I think what he was saying was that you should keep an open mind, but maybe not so open that your brain falls out. And while it can take a little work, I think the joy of exploring is worth it. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this topic a, a few weeks ago with our producer, Karsten, who's sitting right over here. And he reminded us of a quote that, that he had heard and, and that our mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. Yeah, absolutely. So keeping our mind open, it's part of exploring and growing and, and being human. And in some ways, I think it's, it's how we survive. It's about the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. I remember talking with my, my two daughters, and this was a few years ago now. My oldest was asking about the creation story in the Bible in light of what she was learning in science class at school. It was raising all sorts of questions for her. And I said that what she was learning in science class was great, but that I understood the Bible to be talking about something other than science. I asked what lessons she learned from the creation story in the Bible. And we started talking about the stories in, in a way that brings meaning rather than a literal laundry list of information. Here's the part that I love. My youngest girl, who was about six years old at the time, she said, well, that makes sense. She said, because the first time I heard about a talking snake, I was like, come on, really? My girl learned something. She learned that science and the Bible are both valuable and meaningful, but in, in very different ways. You know, that makes me think about something that we're, we're going to have to do an episode on this at some point, but yeah. thinks about makes me think about this idea called spiral dynamics. Uh, we'll try not to go too far down the rabbit hole. And it is a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, basically, spiral dynamics is the idea that we're moving from kind of one level of understanding or consciousness to another. And it all depends on our life situation and our learning and the experiences mm -hmm. that we have. So this is a little bit of what I understand that my daughters were experiencing. This was a movement from a way of thinking where authority rests with one story in a sacred word or code or text that governs reality. And they were moving from that place to another, one based on rational, logical reasoning. There are many different levels even beyond that one. And we can discuss that later, as, as you said before, Chris. But the point is that they were moving and discovering and developing a deeper insight into our world. Yeah, and they didn't have to throw out the importance of the story their faith offered to do so. They just expanded it a little bit. So in Spiral Dynamics, it's this idea of transcend and include. And to me, this idea is a little bit like hearing new music. So admittedly, some of the stuff I listened to growing up really wasn't that good. So in sync wasn't, you hey, know... stop judging me now. Let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> is it bearded spice or what? I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> All right. So some of the stuff I listened to growing up wasn't that awesome. But... Each new song that I heard that was meaningful sort of spoke to where I was in my life at the time. And with some of those bands I listened to growing up, I don't necessarily see it as helpful in the same way today, and there's certainly an element of, of nostalgia there. 
But what holds is that it was helpful then. And so in a weird way, it still has some meaning to me. And I've kind of learned that my capacity for music and the way it can draw out so many emotions and thoughts, it doesn't really end. Each new discovery sort of layers over the previous one. Yeah, you know, it's easy to say after the fact that something makes sense. But I I go back to thinking about my girls and, and, and processing the idea of the talking snake. You know, she was pretty sure that there wasn't such a thing, but it was part of a trusted book and a story of her community. Encountering new ideas at first, it seems to have some level of confusion. Yeah, and I actually... Thinking about confusion, I learned a little while ago that this idea that if you if you weren't confused, you didn't really learn it. Hmm. Um, so either you already knew the thing or it didn't really sink in enough to change your perspective. So learning and discovering means challenging the ways that we see something. And, and it can be a little bit frightening and sometimes a ton of work. But I think getting through the other side through that confusion, it's all just part of the process. So I remember when I was a kid that one of my classmates, or sometimes it was me, would raise a hand and say, I don't get it. And the teachers were almost always good in explaining and rewording and giving examples. Though I imagine there, there may have been some deep sighs, uh, eye rolls, and maybe some hidden face palms. I don't get it. I have also talked with a lot of teachers over the years who absolutely live for the moment when a kid does get it. That moment of recognition, the light bulb comes on and there is the ability to see what was completely hidden before. Yeah, because then we have that light bulb, that aha moment, and all of a sudden things click. And they can be some of the most exciting moments that we could ever experience. So, I mean, Dave, do you have anything that comes to mind when you think about this? Thankfully, I've had a bunch of them. Uh, (laughs) One of my most memorable learning experiences happened when my oldest girl, I don't know, she was probably two or three years old. I had been pretty freaked out because it turns out they let me take her home from the hospital when she was born, and they didn't even know me. I had no skills at raising kids. I had no track record at keeping another living thing alive. Like houseplants? Really? I mean, nothing had stayed alive in my house except for me and barely. My parents were pros. You know, my parents, they were amazing. And I had no game. And then there I was helping my girl get breakfast, telling her a story. And it occurred to me, my parents were making it all up. They had no clue what they were doing. They were completely bluffing and doing trial and error. (laughs) I was a freaking guinea pig. And now I was doing the exact same thing. It's liberating to know that I didn't have to know. It is a, uh, it is a learning that, you know, it set me free. It was an aha moment of discovery. I, I would have never understood it if I had taken a parenting class or read books or tried to make sure that we were ready to have kids and raise a family. It's something I learned on the job. It was just completely an act of search and discovery. Yeah, it's kind of reassuring to know that we're all making it up. We are, I mean, it's all improv. It's all improv. It's yes and. You know, and I think that's true in, in those situations. I think it's true all over the place. I remember for me, one of my clearest aha moments was uh, when I took my first few music theory classes uh, in high school in the beginning part of college. I suddenly realized that the patterns that made up so much of the music that we listen to. So all there's all sorts of repetition in the way that music is created. And, you know, I played in a few different bands and wrote a few songs here and there. But occasionally when doing so, I'd get stuck. I wouldn't know where to go next. I'd kind of understand or hear in my, in my mind how I wanted something to sound. But I couldn't figure out how to get the chord progressions to go where I wanted them, except sometimes like moving my finger along the fretboard of the guitar and hoping I got the right thing. Um, 
But when I started taking those theory classes and I added that to the music I was writing, suddenly I had this process for replicating the chords that I heard kind of in my imagination. So things like, uh, you want the song to turn in a way we didn't expect? Maybe let's borrow a chord from a related key or add color to the sound. We could add a seventh or a ninth or... Uh, this was a fun one. If you want it to sound like the end of a hymn, that's a 4-1 cadence. All sorts of crazy things that you wouldn't know without taking uh, a couple but just really basic classes. Um, and even now, there's still a little or maybe even a lot of guessing in what I'm doing. But for me, learning the rules of music made it a lot easier to know how to break them and also made me realize how much more was out there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's this saying. It says, the more I learn, the less I know. Have you ever experienced that? Well, I mean, I got married. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> one th- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've learned it. <laughs> yeah, so so would Noelle concur with that? <laughs> She'd probably agree with that, yeah. yeah. No, uh, one of the things, actually, it's been interesting, one of the things that we've learned together is uh, traveling without having a plan. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you set up a, a vacation and you decide we're going to go do these three things. When we travel without a plan, there's all sorts of things you didn't know existed. And then you start kind of having the opportunity to discover them. And that's kind of fun. Yeah. You know, for me, it ha- it's happened a bunch of times over the years. Uh, the, maybe the first time that I was ever really aware of it was when I was in college. I'll never forget. It was like somewhere toward the end of my first year, I'd gone away to school, maybe five, six hours away from home. And all of a sudden I looked back at the life that I had had in my small town that I grew up in, I just, everything had kind of expanded in ways. And I realized that I was just scratching the surface, mm. you know? And, and so in college, I, I saw that experience, the, the more I learned, the less I know. Then again, in, in grad school, became aware of that traveling overseas and just seeing just, again, it's, it's these concentric circles of, it's way bigger than I imagined, uh, you know, this world and this, and, and all that there is to, to learn about. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think, all of these new experiences, each one of them in a different way, maybe invites us a little bit further toward the beauty of the world around us. So, you know, you explore a place you haven't been or think about a topic that you don't know much about. I think suddenly you're open to growth and new life. I once heard our very first Sandbox Cooperative guest, Shane Hips, talk about this number, 25,550. He said that's how many days an average person gets on Earth. 25,550. Of course, some of us will get more and some of us will get less. All of us have a bunch of those days already behind us. But one way or another, none of us get very much. How do we fill those days? What do we spend that time doing or thinking or or talking about? 25,000. 550. I would like to say that I spend it exploring and playing, learning and discovering the wonders of our world, creation, relationships, and all the rest. But more than likely, I probably waste more time than I use. Perhaps this is a time to recommit ourselves to the joy of discovery, daring to ask why, or acknowledge, I don't get it, or I don't know. Or simply taking the time to go on a walk with eyes and ears open, discovering the people who are right in front of you, in the neighborhood in which you live. Time is absolutely finite, but the possibilities of discovery, they're infinite. God made a world that is vast and mysterious, and we are created to discover, explore, and make things. To me, that's what it's all about. That is the thrill of the hunt.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for conversations with author and activist Shane Claiborne and Tim Otto, author of the book Oriented to Faith. And also, don't forget about May 7th when Drew G.I. Hart will be the guest of our next Sandbox live event. Drew will talk about his new book, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism. For that and other things going on in the Sandbox, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with somebody who might like it. There's always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.